What's up? What's up, Christwalk? How's everybody doing this morning? Good, good, good. If you got your Bibles or a device you want to, go ahead and turn to the book of Mark chapter 2. We're going to jump in there in just a minute. Um, I want to give a couple shout-outs first before I get rolling this morning. Um, first shout-out goes out to all the OSM students. Um, my wife and I had the absolute uh, honor and privilege of getting to hang out with them this past Wednesday. And um, I don't know about you guys, but I love a church that's full of awesome young people. And uh, I would say that, I would say that, that our church um, is, is cream of the crop. It is the, the tip of the top. It's leading the pack in that department. We have some incredible, incredible young people here. And I'm excited to see about, um, see how God continues to work in their lives and, and, and uses them. A bunch of them are back like in, in our children's ministry. And we got, um, we got them on the media team. And every, I mean, it's, it's awesome. So awesome to be a part of a church that not only has young people in it, but values their involvement. And we've got a great group um, second shout out goes to my good friends Trevor and Lauren Heineman that are on vacation right now, but um, but they uh, they they love us. They love my wife and kids so much. Maybe I should say that they came to hang out with us for um, for a couple days, and they are pastors um, at a church in Canton, Georgia, where um, Trevor and I had the privilege of sharing an office together for three years, and um, and he loves me in spite of it. So I'm um, so glad that they are here in the house with us today. Uh, Mark chapter 2, um, we're going to jump in at verse 1. I'm reading out of the New Century Version. My translation reads like this. It says, a few days later, when Jesus came back to Capernaum, the news spread that he was at home. Many people gathered together so that there was no room in the house, not even outside the door. And Jesus was teaching them God's message. Four people came carrying a paralyzed man. And since they could not get Jesus or get to Jesus because of the crowd, they dug a hole in the roof right above where he was speaking. When they got through, they lowered the mat with the paralyzed man on it. When Jesus saw the faith of these people, he said to the paralyzed man, "Young man, your sins are forgiven." Some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this man say things like that? He's speaking as if he were God. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what these teachers of the law were thinking. So he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to tell this paralyzed man your sins are forgiven or to tell him stand up, take up your mat and walk. But I will prove to you that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So Jesus said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, stand up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately the paralyzed man stood up, took his mat, and walked out while everyone was watching him. And the people were amazed and praised God. They said, we have never seen anything like this. So before I go any further today, I've got a confession to make. It's time I come clean. This is going to be difficult but I feel like I can trust you, and this is a major hurdle in my life. Sometimes, during the message at church, whenever the pastor is preaching, I will get out my phone and I will look for a restaurant to eat at lunch afterwards. <laughs> Some of you are laughing because you do it too. Maybe right now. And so, like, I'll have, like, the Yelp app open, and I'm scrolling through, you know, trying to kind of get a taste for 
you know, what I might want afterwards. You know, because, like, I mean, the Lord wants me to, you know, nourish my body, right? So, I mean, it's not, like, all bad. But occasionally I've gotten myself in this situation where I've stumbled across a Chick-fil-A. And I pull up the, and some of you, like, I just said the word, and you just, it just washed over. You were like, mmm, waffle fries. Can I get a witness in the house? You know what I'm saying? Wouldn't some waffle fries be so good right now? Here's the thing. Chick-fil-A's closed on Sunday. Sorry. And see, then it, it hits me. I remember Chick-fil-A closed on Sunday, and then I'm so angry, and the Lord's like, yep, should have been paying attention to the message instead of looking on your phone. That's what you get, sinner. Waffle fries. Fun fact, Chick-fil-A, the average Chick-fil-A restaurant makes almost double that of the average McDonald's restaurant in a year. Their average profit margin nearly double what the average McDonald's restaurant is. Chick-fil-A does it in six days instead of seven to boot. I believe the Lord is blessing them because of their continued uh, commitment to the Christian values of their founder, Truett Cathy. And we are, we're literally, we're watching as they change the face of the fast food industry. We're, we're getting to live in this time. Their customer service is unparalleled. I mean, everything that Chick-fil-A does, it's, they've got the Midas touch right now. And I believe it's because of the way that they honor God with, um, with their business. Uh, the, the newest Chick-fil-A that's getting ready to open up in New York City, they open up about 100 stores a year um, is the pace that they're on right now. The newest Chick-fil-A they're getting ready to open up in New York City has five stories, five stories and a rooftop terrace that overlooks like part of downtown and Central Park and everything. So my question is, when are we going to New York City? <laughs> you guys, anybody in here a Chick-fil-A enthusiast? Anybody? Yeah. Anybody ever been to one of their first 100 campouts? First 100 campouts. These people are lunatics. This is what happens. A Chick-fil-A store is getting ready to open up. You can check this. It's actually a, a page on their website that shares the rules and talks about this. You show up and you, you wait. You're camping out and everything. And then the 24 hours before their store opens... They come out and they give everybody a raffle ticket that's there and they draw 100 tickets out of, out of a hat and those 100 people are invited to come and camp out on their premises to be the first ones in the store on opening day. And those first 100, they get free Chick-fil-A for a year. It's really one chicken sandwich meal a week. Let's not get a little carried away. I mean, yeah, but... One chicken sandwich meal a week for a year, for 52 weeks, adds up to about $300 in total value. But, I mean, these people, they're, they're, they're like, they're there for days, like waiting on this. I saw the line one time, and I thought, they're giving away free iPhones. I need to go stand in this line. <laughs> and I was like, hey, man, um, uh, are you excited about the new iPhone? They're like, bro, what are you talking about? I'm in this line for chicken. chicken? And he was like, dude, they fry that stuff in anointing oil. I mean, it is. And their sweet tea is sweetened with the tears of angels. And they have this product. 
called Ice Dream that has ground up bits of unicorn horns in it. Like, that's pretty brazen. When you call your product Ice Dream, okay, I can dream some pretty crazy stuff, but guess what? It lives up to it. If you've ever had it, you know your life is forever changed. And if you've ever been in the vicinity of a Chick-fil-A on opening day, you know you can't get within five miles of that place. I mean, it's like people just come out of the woodwork just all over the place like they've never seen fried chicken before. It's crazy. And I like to think that that's kind of what's going on in this passage here in Mark. It's an opening day crowd, and everybody had pressed in because... Something much more valuable than really good fried chicken and sweet tea was in the, in the building. That was Jesus. He was there. Let me, let me set this up a little bit so that you'll know what go, what's going on here. Um, Jesus, he's been on this Galilean tour um, where he's gone from town to town, city to city. He's been preaching and teaching. He's been healing the sick. He's been casting out demons. And he's been doing this for several days. And he's exhausted because, you know, he was God, but he was also 100% man as well. And he's tired after all of this ministry. And so it was during this time that he had moved his home base to the city of Capernaum. And he had gone back to Capernaum to, to take a nap, really, is what's, what's happening. And, and scholars believe that the house that he went to, the house that's mentioned here in this passage, that it was the home of Simon Peter, one of his disciples. And so Jesus goes to Simon Peter's house and he's there to rest and recover and recuperate. But because of all of the things that he's been teaching, because of all of the miracles and, and all, of the, all of the things that he's done and everything, the, the crowds, they've been following him. And they've, they've discovered that he is now at Simon Peter's house. And so they're not going to leave him alone. And they've, they've come so that they can get a glimpse to hear what he has to say and, and in hopes that he might reach out and touch them and, and minister to them. And the, they've, they've come from all over. If you can imagine if the entire if the entire island of Amelia Island, if they all came and showed up at your doorstep at the same time, what would that look like? And that's what's going on right here in this passage. See, the cool thing about the Gospel of Mark, I really like Mark. He's a lot like me in the way that he writes and he communicates. Mark is about, is about a, a couple of things. Mark is very structured. He's very, he's very orderly. And, and the Gospel of Mark is unique in that it is chronological in nature. So everything that happens in Mark, when you read it from beginning to end, that's how the events of the story took place um, in the life of Jesus. The second thing that's unique about the gospel of Mark is that he is cut and dry. He is straight to the point. You never have to wonder about what he is thinking. He's going to tell you. He's going to get right to the nitty gritty of things. He uses words like immediately, a lot, like a number of times throughout the, throughout the, the, the book. And um, he just jumps right into it. And so if you're not careful, there's some things in this particular narrative and throughout the entire gospel of Mark that you can easily look over. So I just want to point out a couple of those things. So, so Mark isn't necessarily saying this, but he's not not saying it. You guys with me? He's just getting to the point of what's going on. So there's some things that I'd like to point out. In the crowd that day, there were four men. My translation that I read was, was people. These were likely four men, and um, they were unique in a couple ways. The first way is that they didn't have names. Now, I mean, I'm sure that they probably did actually have names. In fact, if I was going to name them, I would name them Paul, John, George, and Ringo. 
Some of the older crowd will get that, on the, and, and some of the younger crowd may get it on the drive home. I don't know. But if I was going to name them that, that's what I would name them. But, but for our intents and purposes today, they didn't have any names. And the reason this is important that they didn't have any names is because they were just common people. There was no, like, they weren't like these Herculean bodybuilders. They didn't hold any kind of political office. There wasn't anything, like, unique or specific about them. They were just four faces in a sea of faces that day. The thing that set them apart, though, is that they were carrying a paralyzed man with them. They showed up to the doorstep of this house different than anyone else. They were carrying this guy with them. And the other thing that's unique about these guys is is that there were four of them. Everybody else is just the crowd or everyone else is just an individual. But these, the Bible is very specific that there were four of these people. Look around the room. We need each other. That's why that's important. We need each other. If we're going to get to Jesus, we can't do it alone. We need each other. So there's these four guys that are part of this story. They remain nameless. There's also this paralytic man. Guess what? He doesn't have a name either. The Bible does say that he is a paralytic. Instead of giving him a name, he's now been identified with his condition with his issue, his, his problem, his circumstance. Anybody ever felt like they identified more with a condition or an issue or a problem? Yeah. So that's this guy. No doubt it's how he was known in the community. Oh, you know, the old paralytic guy. You know, the old lame man. Yeah, you know him. Yeah, and everybody would know who they were talking about. So he lived with his, his condition for so long that... He'd come to accept it, and he'd begun to identify himself with it as well. Here's how it affected his life. It it would have precluded him from enjoying anything and living a full and fulfilling life. That would have been been off the table for him. He he would have been fully dependent upon other people for things like provision of of food and and clothes and and transportation to get from point A to point B. He, He would have been viewed likely as an outcast, He would have been ostracized in the community for being a burden upon society. You know people like this. It must have been awful. If I I try to put myself in, in his place on that day, it must have been awful to know that the solution to your problem is just right across town, but you can't do anything to get there. And there he sits. See, and he'd taken on this label, I'm just a paralyzed guy. And he probably watched as... All the rest of that crowd, they passed by him one, two, three, four at a time on their way to Simon Peter's. And they didn't give him the time of day. And he sat there. He felt hopeless. I want you to consider the people that we pass by on a daily basis in our community. There's the single mom with four kids, all of whom have different last names. There's the drug addict that no matter what he tries, he just can't manage to stay clean. There's the high school dropout who who can't seem to find a job to be able to make ends meet for her family. There's the homosexual that's contracted HIV. He's struggling with his identity. There's nobody there to provide a, a hand of help or a hand of hope. There's the family with the special needs child that they don't have any friends because to be their friend, you've got to be around their kid. 
That's weird and that's uncomfortable. We don't understand that. Can't deal with that. We don't have time for that. There's the terminally ill cancer patient who gets up every day and looks himself in the mirror and thinks, today could be my last one. And all of these people and others like them that we pass by on a daily basis, on our commutes, at our places of business, everywhere that we go, they've, they've taken on this same label as the paralytic man and they've, they've put the label of hopeless on their hearts as well. The question that I have for you today is, do you and I, do we have the compassion and the conviction to stop and help these people get to Jesus? See, the four men in our story today, they did. They stopped and, and they helped this guy. They, they stopped and they took time out of their day to go and, and begin to minister to this paralytic man. But, but when they did, on this, this day that it was an opening day, there was an opening day crowd present, when they stopped to minister to this guy, they found themselves facing a significant challenge. And the significant challenge, it led to an opening in the roof. See, when the men arrived to the house, they, they quickly realized that they showed up late. They were late to the party and that it was going to be difficult to get this guy where he needed to go. And if I'm being honest, I don't know about you, and I'm not going to put this on you because it's not fair, but I'm going to tell you how I would have responded. No doubt I would have carried that dude up to the front door of that house and seen the crowd and laid him down in the front yard and go, bro, today's just not your day, man. Sorry. Deuces. I don't have enough time for that. I did all that I could. I got you to this point. It's up to you now, man. These guys, they didn't respond that way. Instead, they put their faith into action. See, here's the thing. Nobody said that getting people to Jesus was going to be easy. In fact, I've discovered in my 36 years here on this earth that it's usually quite the opposite. Getting to Jesus, getting people to Jesus is, is tough. It's hard work. And there's four significant challenges that stand in our way of getting people to Jesus. There's four hurdles or obstacles that you and I have to overcome if we are going to get people to Jesus. And the first of them is the obstacle of comfort. See, being around people that are different than us, it's uncomfortable. This paralytic guy, he was different than these four men. And no doubt it was uncomfortable for them to stop and take time to minister to them. They didn't understand. Their legs worked. They were on their way to Jesus. They were walking just fine. They didn't know where he was coming from. And when we get around people that, that, that are not like us, we get uncomfortable. We're uncomfortable being around people of different races. We're uncomfortable being around people of different sexual orientations. We're, we're uncomfortable about around, uh, 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 being around people with, with different socioeconomic classes or, or people with special needs of some sort. It's because we don't understand their place because they're not like us. And specifically as Christians, as Christ followers, we get really uncomfortable when we're around people that openly and blatantly sin. Because we don't understand that. I love what Robert Morris, he's a pastor in, in Oklahoma, Texas, Gateway Church. I can't remember where it's at. It doesn't matter. But he said this. He said, hunters hunt, golfers golf, 
sinners sin. It's what they do. But yet we place these unnecessarily high expectations on other people. And when they can't meet those expectations, it makes us uncomfortable. The thing is, is that like these four men, if, if we're going to get people to Jesus, we've got to be willing to step outside of our comfort zones and into the lives of people who have needs. So there's the issue of comfort that's got to be overcome. The second thing is the issue of convenience. This is a major hurdle. Major hurdle. These four men, they had to carry this paralyzed man. I don't know if you've ever carried anybody on a stretcher. And I know that many of you are not big, strong, strapping men like myself. <laughs> Let me tell you, even for a guy like me with muscles upon muscles, it's hard. Carrying dead weight is difficult. It weighs you down. There's no way that they were going to be able to move at the pace that they were moving at before they picked this guy up. He was not helping them get to their destination faster. In fact, it slowed them down, and it caused them to miss out on their front row seat. When they got there, because they had stopped to help this guy, they got there, and then the crowd was already there, and there was no more room for them. See, when we minister to people with problems, it's not going to be convenient. Oftentimes, it's a drain on us emotionally and physically. And chances are, it's going to cause us to have to rearrange our schedule and maybe miss out on something that we were really looking forward to. You might not get to catch Wheel of Fortune in Jeopardy when you stop to minister to somebody. See, sometimes, though, the greatest thing that we can ever do is to inconvenience ourselves for the benefit of someone else. Isn't that what Jesus did? I'd say that what he did was, was pretty inconvenient. But yet that's the example that he set up. So we've got to overcome the hurdle of comfort. We've got to overcome the hurdle of convenience. The third thing, this is the most obvious, we've got to overcome the crowd. When the men arrived, all they saw was people. Like Walmart on Black Friday. I mean, they were everywhere. They're like hanging out of the windows. And they knew, man, this is going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult to get this guy where he needs to go. See, a lot of times our lives, they're so busy. They're so overcrowded with things that there's no margin left over for us to help people in need. We're overextended financially. We're overextended in our, in our jobs. We're overextended in our extracurricular activities. We're overextended in our, in our social circles that we don't have time for anyone else. There's so much of the crowd is there that, that we can't even get to Jesus ourselves. Like we're lucky if at the end of the day we manage to, to squeeze out five minutes of time, like reading our Bible and praying before we, before we fall into the bed exhausted. It's difficult for us to get ourselves to Jesus, let alone anyone else. But if we're going to make a difference in the world around us, we, we've got to find ways to push through the crowd, to create margin in our lives so that we can get to Jesus, not, not only ourselves, but take others. That's got to become top priority in our lives. So there's the issue of comfort, the issue of convenience, the issue of the crowd, and finally, there's the issue of cost. There's the issue of cost. Getting people to Jesus, it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us money. Guess what? This church does not run on good looks. If it did, it would be the greatest church in America. I mean, look at Pastor Jim. 
How do you, how do you think he landed Miss Anita? He said, I'm a doctor. That's what he said. Did you know that? Did you know I'm a doctor? <laughs> the hole in the roof, guys, that cost money to fix. Okay, like that wasn't free. When these guys, when they took it upon themselves to climb up and rip a hole in this dude's roof, I mean, like, that wasn't just going to be, they weren't just going to, like, take the shingles and just lay them back and go, all right, good. No, it was going to cost a bunch of money to fix that. I mean, think about it. You, you guys, we've experienced just a small sliver of it right here over the past um, couple weeks. There's, there's been major damages that took place by Hurricane Irma. And that stuff doesn't get, doesn't get fixed for free. It costs a lot of money to fix that stuff. It's going to cost you to get somebody to Jesus. It's going to cost you a cup of coffee. Or it's going to cost you a meal at a restaurant. Or it's going to cost you leaving a big tip for your waiter. Amen. Or it's going to, somebody's a waiter right up here in the front row. It's going to cost you a charitable donation. You're going to have to give of things that are valuable to you in order to get people to Jesus. Not only is it going to cost you money, it's, it's going to cost you time. Like, think about if somebody came right now and ripped a hole in the roof right here. Think of the mess that would be made. I mean, there would be shingles and sheetrock and insulation and wires and all kinds. They would just be falling all over the place, and it would take time to clean up that mess. There would have to be some significant man hours put in getting that situation rectified. And here's the thing. People's issues, they're messy. People's sin is messy. And that stuff, there's no quick fix to it. It's going to take time. You and I, we've got to roll up our sleeves and we've got to be willing to get dirty. We've got to be willing to get into the mess. And not just for a minute here and a minute there. We've got to get in for the long haul. If we're going to reach this community for Jesus, we can't just tiptoe around and do what makes us feel good. We've got to be willing to invest and engage in the messy places on uh, on this island and, and, and in, in, the, in the surrounding community if we're going to make a difference for Jesus. It's not going to happen tomorrow. It's going to be doing the right things the right way over the long haul. That's going to make the difference. It's just going to cost you money. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you relationships. Like we know that the homeowner was Simon Peter, at least that's who we think it was. I don't know if you guys know, but if you read a little bit further in the story, like he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and some guys walk up, and he cuts off one of their ears. So he was like, come at me, bro. I mean, like he had a quick temper. So I can only imagine what it must have been like. Jesus was like, Peter, you're one of my disciples. You can't use that kind of language up in here, bro. When they're ripping a hole in that roof of his house. If some dude, if I drove over to your house this afternoon and while you're taking your Sunday nap, watching your football, if I took it upon myself to rip a hole in your house, you'd rip a hole somewhere else. <laughs> That's what was going on. That relationship would have had to have been mended with, with the homeowner. Then, then there's all the people that, that Jesus, Jesus himself, I mean, that's one thing to deal with. But then there's all the people that he's ministering to and he's teaching. And all of a sudden, a hole gets written. Dude, what are you doing? It's Jesus. Stop. 
So now everybody in the house is mad at him because they've interrupted Jesus' teaching session. And then the Pharisees, oh, the Pharisees. Religious legalism at its finest. How dare these people? How dare they rip a hole in this house? How dare Jesus forgive him of his sins? Guess what? Man, when you start to get ministry-minded and you start to really start to get people to Jesus and you're doing the dirty work and everything, the religious legalists, they're going to come out of the woodwork and they're going to come turn their back on you and slap you up one side and down the other. And guess what? Some of those people are going to be in your family. Some of those people are going to be people that you've called friends and you are just going to offend them all over the place. But if we're going to get people to Jesus, it's going to cost us some relationships. And guess what? If those people can't get on board, cut them out of your life. We don't need them. They need Jesus too. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you money. It's going to cost you relationships to get people to Jesus. There's going to be things we're going to have to sacrifice. But like these four men, if we're committed to overcome all of the obstacles... And push forward to get people to Jesus. On a day where there was an opening day crowd and there was an opening in the roof, provided an opening for Jesus. See, I love what the Bible says right there in verse 5. It says that because of the faith of these men, when Jesus saw their faith. See, Jesus was given the opportunity to minister that day, not because of the faith of the paralytic guy but because of the faith of the four men that carried him to Jesus. See, the paralytic, he'd, he'd worn his label for so long. I'm the paralytic dude. He'd worn that for so long that he'd gotten used to it. He'd started to believe it himself. If you and I, if we would have walked up to him on the street that day and we would have said, hey, bro, man, take up your mat and walk, you know what he would have done? He would have laughed at us. But because of the faith of these men who brought them to Jesus and because Jesus was able to minister to him, something great happened that day. He was for the first time in his entire life, he was able to transcend his label. See, their faith caused him to exercise his faith. And he learned that, the, that his paralysis that day, he looked at it wrong the, the whole time. He, he learned that his paralysis that day was not based on the fact that his legs didn't work. He learned that his paralysis was based on the fact that there was sin in his heart that needed to be dealt with. See, for the longest time, there's been this, this stereotype in the church that, that we good, meaning, church-going people, that we've perpetuated this stereotype. And that is... That for outsiders and non-believers, that they got to first get their life cleaned up, and then they can come to Jesus. But the thing I love about this story is that that all got flipped on its head that day because it wasn't, it wasn't his life situation that needed to be dealt with first. It wasn't his problem, his issue that, that could be seen. It wasn't the visible part. See, he came in and everybody thought, oh, Jesus is going to heal this man of his, his lameness. He's going to get up and walk. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. See, we, we've gotten it backwards. The first thing we need to do is get our heart clean and then our life will follow after that. That's the proper order that Jesus took. Let me take care of your heart, the invisible, and then I will deal with the visible. You and I, we, we know that that stereotype is untrue, but 
The reason it exists is because we've allowed it to happen by the way that we act. See, this, this man's biggest need that day, it wasn't that he was lame physically. It was that he was lame spiritually. But this is what happened. Not only did Jesus heal his heart, he also healed his legs. That man got up and he walked out of that place that day and the people were amazed. They said, we've never seen anything like this. Here's what happens time and time and time again. When someone comes into a face-to-face encounter with Jesus, their life is completely changed, like 100%. Like he didn't just give the man half of what he needed. Jesus gave him all of what he needed. He healed him here and he healed him here. The problem with this, though, is that we believe in Jesus' ability to bring about life change. I think that we really do. We really believe that Jesus is able. But too often, we're unwilling to be bothered to be a part of it. That's the problem. We believe that Jesus is able to bring about life change, but you and I, we can't be bothered to be any part of it. James writes in in his book, in in chapter 2, verse 26, it says, Just as a person's body that does not have a spirit is dead, so faith that does nothing is dead. See, if you and I, we're going to get people to Jesus, we want to see people's life completely changed, then, then we've got to take some action. What if, what if you and I, we begin to live our lives as if we believe that our faith could serve as the catalyst for someone else's freedom? What if we started to live this way? What would our community look like? What would our neighborhood look like? What would our kids' schools look like? What would this church look like if we started to live as if we believed that our faith could serve as the catalyst for someone else's freedom? So here's the thing. Getting people to Jesus... It doesn't just happen in the local church building like this. It takes place in living rooms, in front yards, in grocery store aisles, in gas station parking lots, in school classrooms. Wherever the presence of the Lord is, there is forgiveness and freedom readily available. And you and I, as his body, as the church, we carry his presence with us. So our responsibility is to then go and be the church, to be the the literal hands and feet of Jesus in a world that needs a fresh encounter with Christ. So my question today is, who's the paralytic in your life? Who's the paralytic in your life? And not only that, but what are you going to do to help provide an opening for Jesus for them? Jesus. 